In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever and unto the ages of all ages, Amen. I'm really, really excited to be doing this series with you guys because, uh, as I was mentioning last week, I feel like a certain sense of personal vindication. You'll understand why. Um, a lot of the people who serve with me um, uh, oftentimes tell me, Father John, slow down. It's like every every week there's like some new initiative, there's some new thing going on and uh, some people are nodding their heads um, and there's a reason for that. There's the reason, the reason is, is that I feel a sense of urgency to live every moment of life to its absolute fullest. And I'm so sorry if that's like a, a downpour uh, 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 on, uh, uh, on, on, on the community of ideas and initiatives and so on, but it's great. And we try things and some of them work and we try others and some of them don't. And, and that's okay. There's always a tomorrow and there's always another opportunity to try and to serve God with all of what we are, to save nothing for tomorrow. You know, um, St. John the Short used to teach his, his, his disciples, his spiritual children, to live each day as though it were their last, to wake up in the morning and say, thank you, Lord, that you gave me one more day to repent and to finish the day having known that they spend all of themselves in their efforts in obedience and prayer and repentance. They were all monks. Um, but for us who are in the world, what does that look like? And that's what we're discussing for these four weeks. Last week, we, um, we, we uh, started off by quoting from Job saying that a man's days are numbered. And um, although sometimes if we live, sometimes it looks like we live, like we don't believe uh, that we're going to die. And sometimes it looks like we live like we've already died already. You know, sometimes I feel like I'm the walking dead. I'm just a zombie. I today's like tomorrow. And you ask somebody, how you doing? And they say, same stuff, different day. There's no change. There's no life. There's no progress. There's no, there's nothing. Nothing is, there's no life. So sometimes it's like we're dead. And then other times it's like, when are you going to do this? This is really important. This is a critical thing. This is a, something you feel so important. It's so important. You feel about so strongly about. You ask somebody, what are they going to do? They say, oh, tomorrow. And tomorrow never comes. It's as if we're going to live on forever. Neither, neither have to be, neither are true or have to be true. And we find ourselves asking, is there more to life than this? And sometimes we find ourselves asking that when we achieve enormous success, we achieve all of the things that we worked so hard for and then we wonder to ourselves, is this it? And sometimes it's the opposite when those things are taken away. We've worked so hard for them and then, and then they're gone. We ask ourselves, is there more to life than this? This is all stuff we talked about last week. And we, and, and we, we kind of brought it down to this statement. If, you, if I feel like my life has little meaning or doesn't have all the meaning that it could have, then maybe I should start looking outside of my life right like if you if you like look everywhere in your house for a pair of shoes and you can't find them anywhere and you have turned you know every stone and you've looked under the bed and in the closet and you've looked in the washroom cupboards for god's sake you've looked everywhere and you can't find that pair of shoes maybe they're in the car maybe you left them at work maybe your friend borrowed them the point is they're not in the house. Maybe it's time to start looking outside. Maybe it's start look, looking for a fresh 
perspective. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Today's party line is this. Holding on may be holding you back. Holding on may be the very thing that's holding us back. What kinds of things hold us back? All kinds of things. Self-limiting beliefs, um, the bad attitudes, uh, uh, affection for certain things you don't want I don't want to let go of we're going to discuss all these th different things we're just going to start now with self-limiting -lim beliefs so I'll tell you a story I was in my second year of training as a doctor and uh, they make us do this thing called ACLS advanced cardiac life support it's basically like like what to do when somebody's heart stops like a, if you watch like Grey's Anatomy or other medicine TV shows you know code blue and everybody goes running right so what does the code blue team do that's ACLS okay so I was petrified to do ACLS everybody has to do it I was petrified to do it because I just barely passed cardiology I did med school in French I didn't speak much French and cardiology was very condensed. They condensed it all into six weeks with us, for us. And uh, quite frankly, I'm not sure I really learned very much. And I, I just made it through with like a 65 or a 70. 65 was the passing grade. And so anything cardiology, I was like terrified of, right? Then we had to do ACLS. And I just barely passed that and got my certification that I could, you know, be on an ACLS team or whatever. And then... Um, and then I was on call, I was, I was working in the ICU and I was on call and we're the people they call when a code happens. And I was, you know, a code got called and I ran to my first code alone with like no, uh, no one else to guide me. And I can tell you it was a terrifying experience. It was terrifying, not because I didn't know what to do. It's, it's so, ACLS is so protocolized in these situations, there's no space or time to think. So it's all, you do this, and then you do this, and then you do this. And if this, then that, and if this, then that, it's all algorithms. You have people like who are reading the algorithms with you so you don't make any mistakes. It's all, it's really set up to succeed. But I didn't know that. All I could say, all I could hear in my head was, I can't do this, this guy's gonna die. I can't do this, this guy's gonna die. I can't do this, this guy's gonna die. The story has a happy ending that the patient survived, and I did too, actually, although I didn't think I would, right? But it was terrifying. It was terrifying. And so I went afterwards and I spoke with one of my friends who was a year ahead of me, and I told him, I told him about my experience. And he told, me, he told me lots of things to comfort me. But the one thing that was the most useful that he told me, the one thing that he told told me that was the most useful is that I was really lucky that time around because usually what we keep saying in our head over and over again is what ends up actually happening so I was really lucky in his words or the patient was really blessed by God <laughs> protected from me right uh, uh, in my terms right and God rescued him and me and I learned at that moment that if I was ever going to be in this situation again the one thing I have to stop doing is saying, I can't. And I have to change it to, I can. The other thing he told me, which was very comforting, was when you run to a code, the person's dead already. You're trying to resuscitate them. So, like, you can't really do any harm, you know? <laughs> I'm just kidding. We find that funny as doctors, but you may not find that funny. But, you know, anyhow. Um, 
you know, that's uh, so. Um, don't these self-limiting beliefs hold us back? They hold us from being who we could really be and doing the things that we want to do, right? So it's time for us to let go. When we're, we're talking about letting go, a beautiful example of difficulty letting go is actually the people of Israel. The people of Israel, right? So they found themselves in Egypt like uh, by some events, we won't go there for, for now, right? And they find themselves in Egypt and they find themselves as slaves and they pray to God, God set us free, set us free, set us free. And then God sets them free and he sends them Moses and the whole Moses and Pharaoh let my people go and they cross the Red Sea and the Egyptians drown and then they're in the wilderness and they're in the wilderness for 40 years and God feeds them from his own hand he feeds them manna and this this manna it's a coriander seed kind of falls from heaven right and they collect it in the morning it's like the dew in the morning it's all over the desert and they collect it grind it and they make cakes out of it and they make all kinds of stuff out of it and then what do the people say what do the people say they say oh that we could go back to Egypt why do you want to go back to Egypt what do they say oh the meat and the fish and the leeks and the onions I'm gonna ask you something you were slaves. What meat? What fish? You were lucky to eat beans. You were lucky to eat once a day, right? Oh, the meat and the fish and the leeks and the onions. You can find it in Numbers 11, right? They left Egypt in the flesh, but something of them never left Egypt. There's something, there's a part of them that never actually crossed to the Red Sea, that was still there, that was still longing, that was still grasping for something. It's like you're on a treadmill and you're trying to hold onto some, some fixed object. You know, you're on a conveyor belt that's pulling you, but you're trying to hold on to something which is not on the conveyor belt. What's gonna happen? Either your arm's gonna stretch or some, something's gonna give, right? That's what happened. You may not call it slavery when we hold on to these things. Maybe you call it security. Maybe we call it comfort. Maybe we call it familiarity or normalcy. Maybe we should start calling it, you and me from today, maybe we should start calling it mediocrity. Maybe we should start calling it dissatisfaction. Maybe we should start calling it distraction. Maybe it's time for us to let go of some of the past so that we can launch the wholeness of ourselves into the future. One of my favorite artists, he, he died in 1982, so it's not really the style of music that I love, but his character. He was one of those live life to the fullest kind of people, Keith Green. He became Christian in 1977 when he was 22 and he died in a plane crash in 1982, five years later. And in those five years, his music, his character, his preaching ravaged the southern U.S., Christi you know, the Christianity that was in the southern U.S., to say, it's not enough. My Christianity is not enough. I cannot possibly look at Jesus on the cross and say, this is enough. 
Moreover, I certainly can't look at Jesus on the cross and say, I want to go back to Egypt. So he has this song called, So You Want to Go Back to Egypt. I just put the first few lines of it there for you because it's just, it's so funny. So, so you want to go back to Egypt where it's warm and secure? Are you sorry you bought a one-way ticket and you thought you were sure? You wanted to live in a land of promise, but now it's getting so hard. Are you sorry you're out here in the desert instead of in your own backyard? And uh, the song goes on. He's really funny, um, you know, and his, his, the music ref is reflective of the end of the 70s and the 80s. It may or may not be your thing, but the lyrics are just hilarious. Look it up. Keith Green, So You Want to Go Back to Egypt. His uh, biography was written by his wife, Melody Green, and you can find it. It's called No Compromise. Truly a person who decided to live a life of no compromise, of saying, Jesus, this is not enough. There's got to be more that I can give to you. Another story that's very similar to this, again, in the Old Testament, and it doesn't really matter what your, you know, your personal ideas are about, about, about these stories. Uh, it matters more that, like, there's a message. There's a message in them, right? So there was this great prophet named Elijah, and he kind of comes from nowhere and, go, and, and, then, and then kind of ascends to heaven. So we kind of don't know so much about him personally. But at one point, he realizes that, you know, he's not going to live forever, and um, he goes and he, he appoints a disciple. And in his time, the way you did that was you would take your cloak, which was probably like your most valuable piece of clothing, and he, you would put it on your disciple because like you're not going to need it anymore. So you're giving it to him. So he sees this other guy named Elisha and Elisha is, is plowing the fields with his oxen. And, you know, it's a hot day. I'm, I'm imagining in Palestine, it's a, you know, and his he's face is caked in dust and dirt. And out of nowhere, Elijah appears. Elijah was the terror of Israel because the Israelites were kind of being idolatrous at the time. And he was preaching and telling them, you can't worship idols. You have to worship God, right? And uh, so Elijah appears and Elisha is there. And then he he puts his cloak on him. And Elisha knows what that means. So Elisha answers Elijah and he says to him, first let me go say goodbye to my father and my mother. And Elijah turns to Elisha and he says, what do I have to do with that? He kind of says to him like, sure, like it's, not, it's none of my business. And we're gonna get to that in a second. So Elisha goes home takes his oxen home and look look what he does it's it's really remarkable like these things are written as just like a detail in the story but it's it's actually incredibly remarkable what he does is he takes the plow and the yoke that he was using and he cuts them up and he makes a fire out of them then he slaughters the oxen and he offers them as a sacrifice and then he goes and follows elijah why is that so remarkable um, oxen were really expensive okay so he's taking his only means of livelihood he's taking his only gainful means of employment and lighting it on fire he's taking his past and lighting it on fire why because he doesn't need it for his future he can see what direction he's going and he's not confused about what is supposed to be in the past 
and what is supposed to be in the future. What's so remarkable about Elijah's answer to him? He says, let me go home. I have something I have to take care of first. Elijah says to Elisha, kind of none of my business, right? Do what you do, 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 you do you if he lived in the 21st century, right? Why? Elijah is telling Elisha, I've done what I'm supposed to do. Now you do what you're supposed to do. The point is this, Elijah is telling Elisha, although I'm the greatest prophet in Israel, I don't know your future. And it's not my job to tell you your future. It's your job to discover and to live out your future. It's not my job to tell you your future. It's your job to launch yourself into your future and claim it and live it and make the most of it. But that's never going to happen if you still know that you have an oxen, a set of oxen and, a, and, 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 some, and, and some lands and some this that you can go back to. The point is this, okay, this is just so critical. I'm not saying live like life willy-nilly. I'm not saying live life with no plans. I'm not saying live life with no contingency plan. We make plans, and if those plans fail, there's a plan B. And if that fa fails, there's a plan C. And if that fails, there's a plan D. That's fine. But the plan B and the plan C and the plan D can never be my point of origin if I'm hoping to, to go somewhere. Like, I tried to do this, it didn't work, so let me just go back to where I was. That wasn't Elisha's plan. He lit his past on fire. If, 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 this, if this being a prophet thing doesn't work, I'm going to do something else. But I'm not going to go back to farming. Farming is gone. Farming is finished. Farming is done. There's no going back to farming. You can go back to farming, but when you go back to farming, guess what? You're going to be a farmer. Like if I'm looking at my life and I feel there's got to be more than this and I make a plan and I do it and I say, you know what, if it doesn't work, I'm just going to go back to this. When I go back to this, I'm going to find this the same way that I left it. It's going to be what I left. So if I wish to progress in life, there, there's got to be a plan B and a plan C and yeah, sure, no problem. But that plan B cannot be my point of origin. That's called returning to square one. If we live in the past, we can kiss our future goodbye. Live in the past in our emotions, in our thoughts, in our... You know where this hits really home to me? This hits really home to me in the ability to love people. When you love people, you will get hurt. There's a great verse in the Bible Okay, there's a great verse in the Bible in 1 Corinthians 7. It says, if you get married, you will have trouble. Isn't that great? <laughs> if you get married, you will have trouble, right? And it's true, right? But people get married anyways. A different kind of love. If you love people, you will get hurt. But if you don't love people then you're dead before you started. You're dead in the water. If you love people and you happen to know the Lord Jesus Christ and people hurt you, he will heal you. Don't believe me? 
he loved people, people who put him on a cross. And when they put him on the cross, he said to his father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he rose from the dead. He knows how to heal us from the hurts that people cause in our lives. But I get hurt and then I say, I'm never going to love again. It doesn't have to be romantic love. It can be platonic. It can be friendships. It can be this, it can be that, it can be whatever, right? That is a recipe to be dead long before the last day of your life. Life is about loving and being loved, says Mother Teresa. Life starts when you love people. Love people at work, love people at school, love the guy sitting next to you on the streetcar. Love, love everybody, love everybody. And don't be afraid to get hurt. What's gonna happen? You're gonna get hurt, Jesus will heal you. Not immediately. Yes, there will be some pain. Did Jesus feel the pain on the cross? He did. But what if, what if we could love the same way like Elisha accepted his career change? What if we could love completely, freely, and just set our past on fire and just love every person who's right in front of us right now? What would the world look like? We have beautiful examples of that in the church. We have St. Anthony walks into the church, hears a word in the gospel, sell all that you have, come and follow me if you want to be perfect. Walks out of the church, sells all that he has, gives it to the poor, puts his sister in the care of a community of godly women and goes searching for a life with God and becomes the father of all monasticism to whom the wisest people, kings, emperors flock to this man who lives in a cave on a mountain. Why? Because he took Jesus at his word. He believed him and he turned his back on his past and he said, I'm going to live in the future that God has prepared for me. That's not a remarkable example enough. There's another example in the church which totally rocks my world. Saint Rebecca and her five children. Saint Rebecca and her five children hear that in the governorate next to theirs, there is a governor who's persecuting Christians. So what do they do? Like, what would you and I do? You and I, I would, let's just leave you alone, right? Let's not put words in your mouth. What would I do? I would try to figure out what of my past is precious. I'd pack it all together, including my five children, and I would run for the hills. What does St. Rebecca do? Very similar, but oh so different. She sees what she has, which is precious, the kingdom of God, and the, her children joining her there. She sees what she has, which is holding her back from that all that they have. They are very wealthy. So they sell all their possessions. They release all of their servants. They give all their money to the poor. They don't own anything in their town. And they go to the governor to be martyred. Like St. Rebecca, what's your plan B if he says, you know what? I'm tired of killing Christians. I'm not going to kill Christians anymore. What you going to do? They've got nowhere to go. Not martyrdom was not an option. 
It wasn't an option. They sold all they had. They sold the farm. As the expression goes, they sold their house. They gave all their money to the poor. They don't have anywhere to go because they're not planning to come back. They're planning to go. They've set their eyes forward and what's behind them is history. What about you? What about me? St. Sophia and St. Rebecca, to torture them, St. Sophia's in a different couple of hundred years earlier in Rome and St. Rebecca in Egypt, but it doesn't matter. To torture them, the, the governors, respective governors who, 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 who by, under whom they were martyred, killed every one of their children in front of them. St. Sophia, he said, you know what? It will be more torture for you if I don't kill you. So he released her. So she could live with the memory of seeing her three daughters, faith, hope, and love, having been beheaded in front of her. St. Rebecca had four, children, four older children and one young child. So she took the young child and she sat him on her lap. The other four were martyred and the youngest one was scared. So she asked the governor, can I ask you for mercy? He looked at her like, what do you mean mercy? What was the mercy she asked for? Can he be beheaded, please? Can he be beheaded here on my lap? What mother can, can, can sustain, can sustain to hold her child as he's receiving the crown of martyrdom? These people believed. These people believed. I don't know that I could do that. I wish. I dream. I wish that I could have that kind of faith. But the point isn't, isn't how much faith you have. Or, the point is these people, they saw the kingdom. They saw the path. They saw, okay, de-religiousize it if you want. You know, they saw what they were heading for and they let go of the past. They purposefully ruptured all relation, all bonds, all chains that could inadvertently or purposefully draw them back into their past because they don't want to be there. They want to be where they're going. Sounds, if you're listening to this and these stories, the first time you're ever hearing them, which is totally cool, it's totally fine, it may sound nuts to you. St. Anthony, that we were just looking at, looking at his life, says, a time is coming when men will go mad, and when they see someone who is not mad, they will attack him, saying, you are mad, you are not like us. Who's crazy? I want to live like these people. I want to live like these people. I want to live with purposefulness. I want to live with devotion. I want to live with putting all my eggs in the basket that means the most, that means the most to me. Jesus says, no one having put his hand to the plow, looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. You're going to say, oh gosh, that sounds a little harsh. That sounds a little tough. Like, you know, if you just one, one glance will like, will, uh, will rob you of the kingdom. Why would Jesus say that? See, Jesus w lived in, a, in an area that was very agricultural. People understood this stuff. They understood the context without him saying it. The context is this. If the plowman looks behind him, he's not going to be able to plow in a straight line. The plow line is going to end up curving. What happens if the plow line curves? He's not going to use the fullness of his field. He's not going to get a full harvest. He's not going to get what he set out to do. 
So people in Jesus' time knew that if you're plowing, okay, you got to just start and finish. You can't, there's no interruptions. There's no stopping in the middle. There's no talking. There's no, there's no looking left, looking right. A pretty girl walks by. You just do what you're doing. Because if you look, right, the whole year's work is not going to be as fruitful as it could be. Jesus is telling us, he's telling you and he's telling me, set your eyes on your goal and jump wholeheartedly in both feet both feet in here's a man who's plowing funny funny hey that this is what elisha was doing when he was called plowing some fields with oxen holding on is what's holding us back the only way the only way to be free to live the future in all of its fullness and to discover what it holds for me is to let go. Another, another ball and chain, another obstacle in the way is distractions. All kinds of distractions that come to us in life, right? And it's so critical for me to know what I'm doing and what is a distraction. There's a great book a friend of mine recommended to me called Getting Things Done by David Allen. There's like about three different kind of big, different, very different ways of, of like personal productivity. Like psychology people have studied this and so on and depends on your personality. And apparently this is better for one kind of personality, happens to be my, my personality, but I found it very useful. Basically, stuff happens in my brain all day long and on my phone and I get, there, there's an input of stuff all the time. It all ends up in an inbox. From that inbox, basically I ask myself, is it actionable or not? If it's not actionable, then it goes to reference. If it's actionable, is it like part of a bigger project? Then it goes to the file, which is that project. Okay, if it's not part of a project, it's actionable and it's just something that needs to be dealt with. Can it get done in under two minutes? If the answer is yes, just do it now. If the answer is no, then it goes to my to-do list to delegate it, to defer it, or to just do it myself when there's time to do it myself, to schedule time to do it myself. So I don't follow it perfectly and so on, but it, it was a way for me to process the distractions because as I was saying earlier, one of my gifts or maybe what's one of my, one of my vices is I have about a hundred new ideas a minute and I'm sure you probably do as well. And all of that creativity is a lot of fun for me and a lot of terror for my poor wife. It was early in marriage, she thought I was actually going to do all the ideas. Every time I say, I've got a great idea, she'd be like, okay, and she would listen and then she would think I was gonna do it. So her heart rate would jump like 20 beats, right? Now she knows that it's just an idea and it's gonna go into the appropriate box and we'll pray about it and if, if time comes for it to be done, it'll, it'll get done, right? But my question for you and for myself is, do you believe that your life is too important to get sidetracked by distractions? Like you're doing something and then a distraction comes your way. Is what you're doing so important that you should not entertain the distraction, yes or no? If the answer is yes, then don't entertain the distraction. If the answer is no, then why are you doing this? 
Like if what you're doing isn't important. Life is short. Like why are you doing it? Why are you doing this if it's not important? This is the, when somebody said this to me, it became the easiest way for me to deal with distractions. I ask myself, is what I'm doing so important that I should you know, check these notifications on my phone right now as opposed to later? Yes, you know, this is so important that I should leave those notifications alone. Okay, leave them alone. No, okay, but why am I doing this? Like the day is short, my life is short. I should be using it for something something useful. There's a beautiful story in the Old Testament about a guy named Nehemiah. Nehemiah is commissioned uh, by the emperor to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So he's, he's going to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And then the people who used to be like the, 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 the rich people who kind of like, they weren't the governors, but they kind of governed, you know, Jerusalem um, in the absence of the king, in the absence of all of this, they start sending him harassing messages. And they send him this message and they say, come meet us in the village. They tell him, come meet us in the village because we have something important to tell you. They send him the message four times and every time he answers them, I am doing a great work. Why should I stop and come and visit with you? I am doing a great work. Your life, God is telling you today, is great. Too great to be interrupted by meaningless distractions. So the fourth time, they send him a message and they tell him, look, what we want to talk to you about is that everybody's saying you're going to build the walls and then you're going to make yourself the king and you're going to do treason against the emperor. So we want to kind of sort this out. Of course, they were lying. They just wanted to kill him. And he knew that. But his answer to them is, I am doing a great work. God is saying to you and he's saying to me, you are important. You are significant. You have a key role to play in my plan for your family, for your city, for your job, for your colleagues. You are critically important and you cannot afford, you cannot afford to waste your energy or your time on these distractions. If I want a different life, I'm going to have to give this one up. St. Basil says in like almost humor, almost like jokingly, he says about baptism, he says, how can one be born again if he's already alive? Like if you're alive and you're gonna be born again, so now you're gonna have two lives? Which one are you going to live? Like, which one? Who are you? You know, like, like, you know, John, who is like, supposed to get baptized when I'm 20 years old, John, who's 20 years old now, or John, who's zero days old, you know, and which consciousness are you living in? You know, it doesn't make any sense. If somebody's going to be born again, they're going to have to die. And St. Paul writes about that, about baptism. He says, do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. St. Paul is ready to say, my past is dead. My past drowned at the bottom of the baptistry. And out of the baptistry came new life, came a new person. It is no longer I who lives but Christ who lives in me. And St. Paul goes on to affirm 
I affirm I die daily. Daily I look at the old John, the old man, and I tell him, die. Die. And I say to Christ, live in the fullness of your life in me. Give you one last analogy to kind of close with, you know. Um, if you travel a lot, you've probably learned or have by somehow to travel light, you know, to, to, to carry as little as possible. There's some laughing in the audience and I'm suspecting that those are the people who don't travel light, who every time they get on a plane, it looks like they're moving, right? I'm, mar I'm, I'm married to one like that and her three attaches, right? And I, I desperately try to travel light and, and it's impossible now with, um, with children. But if you've, if you've traveled a lot, okay, how many people here have traveled and had a really short connection between two flights? And you get off the plane and you have to run from one gate to the next. Okay, how many times when you're running have you thought, oh my goodness, are my bags gonna make it? I've had that experience, right? And I can tell you, it only took once for my bags not to join me, for me to realize that it's not a big deal. Like they deliver them to you three days later, or two days later, one day later, they give you $500 to go buy, you know, underwear and deodorant. I mean, my underwear and deodorant doesn't cost $500, but you know, right? And it's no big deal. It's no big deal. As you're running from one flight to the next, the last thing on my mind is my baggage for two reasons. One, I know it's not important. Two, I know there's nothing I can do about it. So, in a larger sense, in a more metaphorical sense, travel light through this life. Don't worry about the baggage that was relevant yesterday, because chances are it won't be relevant tomorrow. Just run into the future. Just catch your flight. Just be part of that experience. Just live the experience which is here and the one to come. And the stuff that's behind you, if it's supposed to join you in the future, it will. The biggest problem we can do, we can do when we're doing this is instead of living our future, we can just end up prolonging our past. Jesus' advice to his disciples when he sends them out is, take nothing for the journey, neither staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money. He tells them, don't even take a change of clothes. Like he sends them out as they are. He sends them out as they are. But Jesus, where am I going to get lunch? Taken care of. Jesus, where am I going to sleep? It's taken care of. Jesus is saying, I've called ahead. You're going to this town? I've called ahead. I made reservations for you at the Intercontinental. They're going to have a big brunch buffet before you. They're... He's taken care of it. He's taken care of it. Travel light. You don't need to take anything with you because the arrangements have already been have already been made. I'm speaking, of course, in a metaphorical sense about leaving our past behind us and not feeling like, oh, but this might be useful. This might be something I will use in the future. In summary, there's all kinds of things that hold us back. There's our past. There's people in our past, things in our past, things we want to hold on to, ambitions. There's things, things in our past that are negative painful emotions, bad habits, hurt. All of these things are in our past. 
If we hold on to them, we're just going to drag them with us into the future and perpetuate our past. God is looking to you and he's looking to me and he's telling us, these are... These things that we look at as hurdles are not there as obstacles. They're there to show us how high we can jump. They're there to show us that we can jump higher than this with God and His power. And His wind under our wings can carry us to new heights we never would have imagined. But if the hurdle wasn't there, we would have never tried to jump over it. Imagine, imagine what life would be like if we didn't constantly hold on to our past, but we accepted to launch ourselves into the future. Imagine what my life would be like. Imagine, imagine what your family life would be like. Imagine what your work life would be like. Imagine, imagine what our community would be like. If we were a community of people who were fearless to love, fearless to meet people, fearless to reach out to the world around us. What would Bathurst and College, this intersection, look like? We wouldn't spend any time, we wouldn't spend a second here fussing about, fussing about what, what if this, what if that. Just imagine for a moment what that would be like. Holding on is the very thing that is holding us back. We've got to let the past go and let it die. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Lord Jesus Christ, the King of glory, who calls us into this amazing new life. Please, Lord, give us the courage to let go of the past, to let go, Lord, to just set it on fire, Lord, and accept every moment of the future as you have drawn it out for us please lord give us to do this in wisdom and discernment obviously lord but also with boldness and courage and a deep desire to live the full potential of everything that you have prepared for us that is to come in your mighty name we pray through the intercessions prayers of all your saints hear us lord as we pray to you, our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread forgive us our trespass against us and lead us not in temptation but deliver us from evil christ jesus our lord for thine is the kingdom and now the love of God the Father, the grace of His only begotten Son, the gift and fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace and may the peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.